Well, today's scripture comes from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And uh, we are going to have uh, a responsive reading, which means that I'll uh, read the first verse, and then we'll all respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. Um, it's going to be uh, in NIV, uh, which is what our pew Bibles are. Uh, but oftentimes during the message, I, I quote the ESV. So you'll get to see two different uh, translations. Uh, but uh, yeah, once you are ready to read the scripture, uh, if you could please stand as able. Again, it's First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing in our Truth Is series. This is part two, Out of the Dark. Uh, Oftentimes, um, there would be times in in, uh, my marriage where I wouldn't be doing well. You know, like I had a bad day for whatever reason. Yeah, I start getting down on myself about something. Maybe it's like, you know, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm not being a good pastor or a good husband or a good father. Um, maybe, maybe like I wasted the day away, like I wasn't very productive and I'm feeling guilty about that. Maybe I lost my temper or something like that, right? And, um, you know, uh, th- this, this happens throughout my marriage. It still happens, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, hey, we all have bad days, right? Um, but my wife, like, is really good at telling when I'm not doing well, you know, and she'll call me out. She'll ask me, you know, point blank, like, hey, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? And early on in my marriage, I had this move where I would just, it was like a, a, a just a knee-jerk reaction. I didn't even think about it, but I would just automatically just be like, like, well, I'm good. Like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and, and so Aaron would be like, you sure? Because you really don't look like you're doing fine. I can see steam coming out of your ears, you know? You've been staring out the window for 10 minutes. Like, you don't look like you're doing fine. And again, early on in in my uh, marriage, like, I would just double down. I'd be like, no, like, I'm doing great. And oftentimes, I would try to convince her. Like, I would look look at her and be like, see? And I'd, like, smile real big. Like, like, I'm doing great. Like, I'm, I'm totally fine, you know? And later, like, things started to change a little bit because, like, this would happen a lot, and... You know, um, I, by the way, uh, my wife is in California this weekend, but she knows I'm going to be telling you guys this. And so, so full permission here, right? Um, but, like, Aaron would get annoyed because she knew that, like, you know, it's not true. Like, like I'm, you know, I'm being dishonest, you know? And, like, like I think early on she would kind of let it go. Like, you know, she's like, hey, what's wrong? And I'd be like, nothing, I'm doing fine. And she'd be like, okay. But as, you know, time progressed, like, she would just try to, like, call me out a little bit, you know? She would, like, not let it go. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And she's like, yeah, no, you're not. Like, seriously, like, can you just tell me what's wrong, you know? Um, and, and so she would kind of get mad, and I'd either try to convince her, or I'd be like, like, I don't know. Sometimes I would, like, not say anything, you know? And that never worked out. And, um, you know, uh, this would continue for a while, and... You know, um, one of the things that started happening is that, like, I, I decided, like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to lie to my wife, you know, but sometimes, like, she would ask me, like, hey, how are you doing? And, at, like, at first, I'd be like, oh, I, you know, like, like, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm okay. And by the way, I used to do this to my parents all the time. My, like, mom would always ask me, like, how are you doing? Every time, it would always be fine, Right? And, uh, you know, I could be crying or yelling. And she's like, how are you doing? Like, fine! You know, <laughs> never told her the truth, you know? That was just one of those things. So parents, if you have kids, you know, I've been there. 
if you guys are living with your parents, you know, and this sounds familiar, right? Like we all do this, uh, but it's not honest, you know? And because I like to think of myself as being a really honest person, I would try to be more honest with Aaron. But this is the thing that would happen is that when I tried to be honest, I found that I didn't know what to say, right? Like I literally did not know what I was feeling. You know, so Aaron would ask me like, hey, what's wrong? And so to be more honest, instead of it being like nothing, I would say, I don't know. I don't know. And I was telling the truth. I didn't know what was going on within me. Does that sound familiar for anyone? You know, I actually asked a a brother this morning as I came in, and he probably didn't know why I said this, uh, but I asked him like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I was like, that's a really honest answer. I like it. You know, he just was like, whatever, Pastor Steve, you're weird, you know? (laughs) But that's honest sometimes. Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what's going on within us. And the thing is, friends, um, I think that a lot of us, we practice self-deception all the time. I I thought about an alternative opening to this message where I was going to come up and be like, hi, you know, my name is Pastor Steve, and I'm a self-deceiver, you know? And then I thought that was too cheesy, but... I did it anyway, so. Um, We all deceive. We all practice self-deception. You know, there are ways where we lie to ourselves about things um, or we don't face the full truth, right? Like in that case, you know, like, like maybe I was deceiving Aaron, but I'm also deceiving myself. Is that true that I'm doing okay? Well, no, but sometimes I try to like believe that. You know, even the times where I I would like go to Aaron and, you, you know, she would say like, Hey, like, like, seriously, you can tell me, like, something's going on. And I'll be like, no, see, I'm, I'm okay. Like, right, I'm doing okay. I would, like, try to convince myself. And this is another move I have. Um, this wasn't always a conscious thing, but I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I need to be okay for my family. I, I don't want to be, like, moping around and depressing everyone. So I'm going to be Okay. So pain, whatever it is, whatever's going on within me, down you go. Just, mm, just push it down. Like, mm, I hope this works out. <laughs> and as you know, friends, it doesn't work out. There's this principle about pain. There's this principle about the things that are bothering you. And it's very simple. They don't go away. They don't go away on their own, I should say. Right? So when we say, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, I'm just going to... Just think about something else. You know, you start playing a video game. You start, you know, binging videos on YouTube or whatever. You know, you, you, you distract yourself. You, you eat a pint of ice cream. You know, these are all behaviors we call numbing. Right? What is numbing about? Numbing is when you, there is some really uncomfortable emotion that you're either feeling or you're avoiding. And in, in order to not avoid it, you do something to not feel. Right? Turn your brain off. I'm going to watch a mindless movie. You know, we all do it. We all do it. I'm a master at it. I'm so good at it. Right? But this is the thing that I've been learning in my life is that it does not go away. It doesn't. And that it will come up at some point in some form or even worse. You push it down and it becomes something else. It metastasizes. That, that's a cancer term. Right? When cancer spreads and becomes something else and becomes something worse. And so oftentimes, people who are really, really nice all the time, I I was like this. This was a very high value for me. This is why I would fake it with my family. You know, when they're like, hey, are you okay? I'm like, well, I I need to be okay. Right? Like, I'm a pastor, I'm a nice guy. So I'm going to act like I'm okay, even though I'm not okay. So look at the smile, right? Like, I'm okay. You know? And then there would be times where, I would blow up. You know, there's this one time where I tried to convince myself I was okay. It was uh, uh, when I was in seminary, and I found out that because of a mistake I made, um, I didn't meet a certain deadline for something, and I was not going to graduate on time. So this is true. Um, I actually came out to, uh, uh, to uh, Ann Arbor and started serving as a pastor for one year, but I hadn't graduated. I had finished all my classes, but there was one requirement that I had to fulfill, and they would not let me graduate on time, right? So I had to actually fly back to D.C. to do this stupid requirement so that I could graduate, and I graduated a full year later than everyone else in my class, right? And the day that I found that out, I was so mad, but I have this very unhealthy thing with anger where I was like, oh, like, like, 
I'm not going to get mad about this. I was trying to be like really zen, right? And so I found out that I wasn't going to graduate on time. I, I, I got on the phone and I was talking to this administrator. I was like, no, you don't understand. I need to graduate on time. You need to make this work. Like, what can I do? And they're like, sorry, Steve, there's nothing you can do. Nothing. You're powerless. Suck on that. They didn't say that. They, that's how I felt, right? You're powerless. There's nothing you can do. And it felt really, really horrible. But I was like, you know, like really trying to work on my anger. I hung up the phone and I'm like, okay, don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. And then I felt the anger coming up. Mm, push it down. Push it down. And just kept push, pushing it down. And so I didn't yell. I didn't yell. It's like, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to scream. But I sat there in, in my chair and I started shaking, right? And so I, I just jumped out of my chair. I picked up the chair and I threw it across the room, right? Like, it was actually kind of impressive. It was like a Hulk move. Like, I was just... <laughs> and, and when I threw it, I threw it so hard that one of the, the, the legs of the chair exploded. Just like, poof, right? And, and like, in that moment, it was like both like I was impressed that I did that, but I was also horrified. I was like, oh my gosh, right? Like made a really loud noise, you know? And that chair was not my chair, right? It belonged to the seminary. So for the next hour, I've had to gather all the little shards of that, that chair and I taped it together. I was like, they won't notice, right? It looks good as new, right? And you know, this is the thing, friends, is that if we avoid these things, that we are feeling, if we do not acknowledge them, we just keep pushing them down and they don't go away, what price do we have to pay for that? What toll is that going to take? What toll does that take on my marriage when I'm not honest with my wife? What toll does that take on my family when I have this seething rage just beneath the surface that I just keep pushing down and just not dealing with? You know, oftentimes when I push things down, one of the ways that I know it is that it comes out physically. You guys ever get like stomach aches because you're like so worried about something or so anxious because you're not dealing with it? You know, you're so worried that you just like, like you can't eat and, and it, your stomach just hurts, right? Again, metastasizing. It doesn't go away. It doesn't, right? And friends, uh, I've noticed that I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in not being good about expressing how I feel, the emotions that I have, being honest about when I'm not doing well. And friends, I got to say, you know, I know not everyone here is uh, Asian or Asian American, um, but a lot of you are. And what we're finding is that um, in Asian society, it's not really accepted to express negative things, right? Like people are always very proper and nice and you're supposed to be reserved. You're not supposed to yell. You're not supposed to, you know, like really be overly effusive in front of people. It's just not cool, right? And so a lot of people, they do that move where they just <clears throat> push it down, right? And we don't talk about uncomfortable things. If you're sad and depressed, they're like, hey, we all are too. Just smile and just grin and bear it. Just do the best you can. You know, but again, friends, I have to ask the question, what is the cost to that? What is the cost to not being clear on what you are feeling and acknowledging when you are not okay? And what we are finding is that Asians have some of the highest incidences of mental illness of anyone. Why? Why is that? Is that genetic? No. It's a social thing. Because Asians also have the lowest incidences of seeking mental help, of, of talking about it, of, of confessing, when things aren't going well, right? We don't talk about it. And so there's a correlation. Because we don't talk about it, it gets worse, right? And so there is a very high cost to pay. And so my question for you is, in some way, are you paying that cost? Um, so I, like I said, I, I think a lot of people, like, like we're not alone in this. And one of the things I noticed is that a lot of us are, uh, I'm going to call, and, and I hope you guys understand where I'm coming from with this. I'm not trying to paint everyone with a broad brush, but I do think that there is something where a lot of us, we come from this place where we grow up in the church. Okay? Not everyone here has grown up in the church. Right? Not everyone here is maybe would consider yourself a Christian, but if you have, 
if, if you have grown up in the church, if you do consider yourself a Christian, um, and maybe part of your identity is being a good Christian kid. I know this is, this is it for me. And I've noticed, like, dealing with a lot of good Christian kids, because I've served in a church for, for a, a while, right? I've been at this church since 2004. I've been serving as a pastor since 2000. So, like, 17 years I've been dealing with good Christian kids. And one of the things I've noticed is that good Christian kids don't like to admit when they're not doing well. Right? And this is usually when, like, the cracks start to show. Remember, like, Pastor Steve uh, trying to just suppress my rage. And at some point, I'm like, okay, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And then, whoa, I'm throwing a chair. What just happened? What happened was I couldn't hold it down anymore. Right? So good Christian kids, we derive a lot of our identity about being okay and acting like we're okay. And we're really good at it. And a lot of times we can hold it back. But sometimes, because like we said, it doesn't go away, there are cracks in our armor. And there are things that come out. Maybe you're watching a sad movie and you cry like way more than you should, right? Like it's sad, but you are bawling. Like what is going on? They actually say that that's like, like not conclusively, but that is one possible sign that you might be depressed. You know, um, there are times where you start feeling things, Right? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm feeling. And this is usually what happens. When people talk to me, oftentimes they'll say something like this. Like, oh, you know, like I'm really mad at my parents or you know, I'm really upset about not getting into the school or, you know, I, I have some anxiety or I'm not sleeping well. And then they'll follow up with this. But it's really not that big of a deal. This is the good Christian kid trademark. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it's not that big of a deal. I, like, there was a time where, um, like, like, this young woman was talking to me, and she was sharing about stuff in her life, and she started with, Pastor Steve, this isn't a big deal, right? And then she started sharing about, like, some of the anxieties she was facing with school and with family, and she kept saying, you know, like, like it's just not that big a deal. And then she starts crying, right? And then as she's crying, she's like, I don't know why I'm crying. It's not that big of a deal, Right? It's not that big of a deal. And at some point, just very gently, I just kind of like, like put a hand on her shoulder and was like, hey, I think it's a big deal. Right? <laughs> because she's, she's like, like, like falling apart and like, she's like, man, why am I crying? This is so stupid. I don't know why I'm crying about this. It's not a big deal. And so this is the thing, friends. If you are a good Christian kid, I, I, I want to just share something with you. What this message is about is about the ways we self-deceive and the ways that we do not face the truth that God could help us with, that truly could be uh, made better in our lives. But if we don't avoid it, you will never get there. You will never get to a place of healing if you don't at least acknowledge that there's something going on within you. And so, you know, there are some people who like, you know, they, they're, like, they know what they are, Right? They're just out there like, ah, you know, I know what I am. I'm a jerk, you know. I, I, I can be really selfish, you know. I, I just, I have all these bad habits, but this is who I am, you know. And in some ways, you know, that can be a shield in and of itself, right? Like when you sort of like, just like, you're immune to criticism because you've done all the criticism. Like, yeah, I'm a total jerk, but I'm going to keep on being a jerk. You know, that's also a coping mechanism. But in some ways, if you can be honest about the things that are wrong with you, in some ways, it's better than the good Christian kid thing where you don't even know what you are feeling. You haven't given yourself permission to feel. And so, friends, if you are a good Christian kid, and I am one of them, I, want you, I would want to give you a suggestion about how to deal with this. One thing you can do. Anytime you say it's not that big of a deal, I want you to counter it immediately with, oh, I remember Pastor Steve talked about this. I'm saying it's not that big of a deal. It probably is. See, because remember, we're really good at hiding it. We're really good at suppressing it. So if anything pings, if anything comes out that is uncomfortable, then that's probably a good sign that it's a big deal. You may not feel like it's a big deal. You may legitimately feel like, you know, like, like oh, there's not a lot of heat coming from this. You know, I'm not feeling super angry, but I'm just kind of annoyed. 
But the thing is, friends, there's a reason why that escaped all of your defenses, all of your ways of trying to be a good Christian kid. And it showed up. You're annoyed. And you're not okay with it. And friends, I think we need to give ourselves permission to feel that. If you are annoyed with someone, if you are feeling impatient, if you are anxious, if you are scared, if you are just pissed off or depressed, you know, and this is one of the things that I've been doing. Whenever my wife says, like, hey, what's going on? Instead of saying, it's not that big of a deal, you know, I'll talk about it. And, and I, I, I'll stop hedging. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I honestly don't feel, like, super angry about this, but I am feeling this. And so I'm learning that it's probably a bigger deal than I think. And I'll just speak it out. And friends, um, the Bible's going to back me up on this because... I think that this passage, we hear it in a certain way, but I just want to take it for what it is. And I want to show you that it's going to talk about this idea of coming out of darkness into light, of acknowledging the things that are not good within us. So this is 1 John 1, 5 through 10. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So friends, um, the word darkness, uh, I I almost didn't title this message out of the darkness because I, I realize how much we misunderstand this word. Right? Darkness to us, it just means like, oh, like an evil force, like a blob of evil, like darkness, ah, you know? But what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. That's all it is, right? Darkness is dark. <laughs> you can't see. That's what darkness is, right? And so if Jesus, if God is light, and it says in him is no darkness at all, And it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So literally, darkness is a place where you're hiding, right? Now, darkness does get associated in the Bible with lots of bad things, right? And rightly so. You know, they find that most crime is committed at night. And if you want to reduce crime on your street, there's a very simple way to do it. How do you reduce crime on your street? More lights, right? You just get really good street lighting, and it massively reduces crime. Why? Because there's less places to hide, right? Less crime gets committed during the daytime because everyone can see. But if you're in the cover of darkness, then you have this feeling that I can do whatever I want, and nobody will call me out. Nobody, I'm not accountable. Nobody will catch me. There's no consequences. And so for us, being in darkness means that we think we can do whatever we want. We think we can get away with it, right? And that can lend itself to doing bad things. But friends, let me tell you, darkness is not just about doing bad things. It is about not acknowledging the truth of things. It's about hiding. It is about uh, not coming into the fullness of truth. And so, friends, I think those times where we deceive ourselves, where we are not owning the things that are wrong with us, the things that are, are, are troubling us, the things that make us mad, the things that make us afraid, I think all of that is literally walking in darkness. You are not being clear. You are not being honest. You are not being forthright about those things. And so it says very bluntly, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Why is that? Because it, it told us one verse before, verse 5. That God is light, right? So what does that mean? God is light. That means there's no hiding who you are. You can't hide anything. You can't hide bad things like sins, you know, like, like wrong things you do to people, right? You can't be in the presence of God and be like, God, I worship you, and then murder your brother, right? You can't do that, right? Because God will see it, <laughs> you know? There's no darkness within him. There's no hiding. But at the same time, you can't go to God and be like, God, I'm completely okay in my life when you're not. God, it's no big deal when it is. God, I'm not greedy. I'm not selfish when you are. God, I'm not depressed. I'm just, 
you know, just a little tired. When you are, you can't hide that stuff from God because God sees it all. He sees, sees exactly who you are. So this is the thing, friends. It talks about this idea of fellowship. What is fellowship? Friendship, intimacy, being able to live your life with God. And it says you cannot have that if you are living in darkness, right? So I want to be clear about this. And this point may seem a little harsh, but I think it's just, it just makes sense given what we know. God is light and there's no hiding from him. So if you are hiding things from yourself or God or from anyone else, then it is going to inhibit your fellowship with God. Does that make sense? Right? It is going to affect your intimacy with God. It is going to affect your walk with God. It is going to affect how much you are able to feel God's presence in your life when you are deceiving, when you are not being clear about the stuff in your life. So if you cannot acknowledge what is wrong within you, then you cannot fully fellowship with God. And so this is the thing. We hide things because it's painful, right? And, and that maybe our first move is just get rid of the pain. You know, either I'm going to avoid it, pretend like it's not there, I'm going to suppress it, I'm going to numb it, right? But this is the thing that it says. When you do that, you also avoid the ultimate solution. Because remember what we said. The, the, the uncomfortable things, the bad things in our lives, the... the the wrong things in our lives, they never fully go away, right? Until you deal with them. You need to deal with them in the proper way. You know, so suppressing it, avoiding it, numbing it will get rid of the pain in the short term, but will not solve the problem in the long term. Now, th- this is the, the sort of irony though, friends. You may have to face pain in the short term to get to healing in the long term. Do you hear that? You may have to face pain in the short term to have healing in the long term. And if you avoid pain in the short term, you are going to have pain in the long term. If you avoid pain in the short term, right, you just avoid it, you suppress it, it's going to make your life worse, right? And so it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's this idea that we don't just hide from God, but we hide from each other. We don't want other people to know what is wrong with us. We don't want to acknowledge that about us. We don't want to think of ourselves as being a bad person or being an angry person or a depressed person. So we avoid that. Ah, hey, you know what? It's just not that big a deal. Or to other people. You know, to my family, I hide it. To my friends, I hide it. To my church, I hide it. Man, how many pastors get up every Sunday morning and they're like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hey, God is good. But inside, they are a mess. That's not good. How does that affect our relationships with other people when we hide that stuff? You know, when somebody asks you, very innocuously, how are you doing? And you look at them and you tell that simplest and, and just, just most you know, innocent of lies that we all tell everyone all the time. And we say, I'm good, I'm fine, right? Do you ever have a friend who like really cares about you and they know it? It's, it's like my wife when she would see me and she knows I'm not doing okay. You ever have that friend, like they can sniff it. You're not doing okay, I know it, right? And they call you out. They call you out and they're like, no, seriously, seriously, man. What's wrong? I can tell, right? You're off. You're not acting normal. Like, you can tell me. Right? You can trust me. What if you insist and you go on and you're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Leave me alone. I'm doing okay. It's not that bad. Not that big a deal. You won't have fellowship with that person, right? You're not going to be able to connect with that person, right? That person could really commiserate with you. That person could help with your healing. But if we block out God and we block out other people, we forestall our healing. We make it impossible for us to fully heal. I, I talk about this a lot in our ministry. I talk about like, like, you know, you can only get healed by a doctor if you go and see the doctor, right? If you go in to see the doctor and the doctor asks you what is wrong with you, and you're like, nothing. I'm great, doctor. They're like, well, why are you here? I'm like, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. You will never get healing. The doctor will be like, okay, well, when you are ready, when, you're, when, when you are ready to be honest about what is wrong with you, then we can begin the treatment. And the treatment will not begin 
until that happens, right? And so it goes on to say, uh, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, sin in Greek, it's harmatia. It's, it's an archery term, right? And it just means missing the mark, right? So in archery, you're trying to hit the mark exactly where it needs to be. That is what we call righteousness, the rightness of life. It doesn't mean that, you know, like, like you're this person who's better than other people. It's not about that. It's about being right before God. Right? Being right in every way. Right? Like, like there, there's nothing wrong with you uh, uh, emotionally. You're, you're a whole person. You're not blaming other people. You're taking full responsibility. You are loving. You are forgiving. You are patient. You are joyful. You, you, everything is right within you. And anything short of that is sin in a way. Right? Now, we get really caught up with the condemnation of sin. And friends, what this whole passage is about is coming before God without condemnation. Jesus, this passage does not end, by the way, right? Spoiler alert. It does not end with Jesus looking at you, judging you and being like, oh man, you really do suck. (laughs) Well, you don't get to live in my kingdom. Like if I had known that, I never would let you in the doors of the church. Like get out of here. That's not how the story ends. It ends with our healing. It ends with forgiveness. It ends with God completely embracing us in fellowship right? Um, But the thing is that with sin, we think of condemnation. We think sin is something that disqualifies you, like, oh, I'm this really, really bad person, right? When sin is, in a way, it is just anything that is wrong, anything that is not of God, right? And so we need to sort of like cut out the stigma a little bit, you know? I, I know that's a natural response, but maybe part of the reason why we don't want to acknowledge the truth of the sin within us, the wrong within us, is because we really don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. Like you hear the word sinner, and, and I, I just hear like, like a televangelist going, sinner, you know? Um, I, 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 I hear like these things in my head about, um, you know, that person is sweating more than a sinner in church or something like that. You know, we're supposed to feel uncomfortable. We're supposed to feel condemned. But when it's just, there's something wrong within you, as there's something wrong within all of us. And it is okay, it is normal, it is needed, it is necessary to admit that for yourself, before God, and with your brothers and sisters. We need to do that, right? If we say we have no sin, so friends, let me interpret for you. I'm okay, there's nothing wrong with me, I'm doing great. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, right? And again, this is another loaded word. Confession uh, is this, you know, like, well, like we think about priests with the collars. We think about like those, those like little dark wooden booths, right? And they've got that shunk, right? They've got that, that like, you know. That, that thing that separates you from the priest, the greats, where you can't fully see their face and like, I'm sorry, Father, I have sinned. It has been two weeks since my last confession. This is all the things we think about. But friends, you know, confession is simply stating the true state of your soul with another person. That's, that's what confession is, right? Um, th- there's something very communal about confession, right? Because think about like, like just, you know, if we can get geeky about words for a second, you know, confession and profession. What is the difference, right? Some of you guys, you guys are doing like SAT classes or something. Like, you know, you have to do like the, the Greek, uh, the, the, the suffixes and prefixes. What, what is pro? Profession. What is a profession? You are fessing, right? You are saying something where? Publicly, right? Out there. Pro. It's going out from you, right? What about confession? What is that? You are saying something, saying something truthfully with someone. Con, right? That's, that's where the con, con part is, right? You're doing it with somebody, right? That brings you closer to that person. Friends, the devil twists our, our, our words. I believe that. He's the father of lies. And this is what he has done with the word confession. Confession is meant to bring you into more intimacy. When you confess something to somebody, it's meant to bring you closer to them. It's in the word itself. 
But we have made confession something that separates you from something, someone. Like, oh, if I confess that sin, I'm going to jail. If I confess that thing, that they'll hate me. If I confess that thing, they won't understand. If I confess that thing, I'm a really wrong and bad person. Right? And we think of this thing like that you have to go with a bowed head before a priest. You got to say it out loud. And then you, you got to feel like really, really bad for yourself. It separates you from God. And nothing could be further from the truth. Confession is something that brings you into full fellowship with God. Why? Because you are bringing your full self. And when you are bringing your full self before God, then God can work fully in your life. You know, I I remember there are many times in my life where um, there are things in my life that I don't want to bring before God. And so God can never deal with them. And I kind of like it that way. For me, um, a lot of times idols are a big thing. I don't want to confess what my idols are. I don't want to be honest about that. We're going to talk a lot more about idols in in, uh, next week's sermon. We're going to go into Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is one of the most brutal uh, books of the Bible, but it is great. Uh, It's going to be good. It's going to be like, like, you know, it's going to burn and then it's going to be relieving and it's going to, I mean, you know, it's like, like, like having a good exercise. You know, you sweat, <laughs> there's pain, but afterwards you're going to feel great. And it's going to be good, uh, but no pain, no gain. <laughs> it's going to be kind of hard. Um, but friends, all that is to say that idols are idols because we don't want to give them up. That's the nature of idols. You do not want to give up an idol because you love it. You worship it. You want it in your life. You feel like you need it. And that's the very nature of it, is that you are not going to be honest about an idol because you don't want God to take it away from you, right? And so, you know, a lot of times you talk to people about idols, and we downplay idols all the time. Like, oh, yeah, you know, my girlfriend, yeah, she's not an idol. Like, I really like being in relationships. And like, okay, great. Well, if you want, like, like let's do like an Isaac test. Let God take it from you. Like, mm, no, we're not going to do that. Like, well, why not? Because I don't want to. Well, um, don't you think like you're getting a little hostile? Like, yeah, look, I don't want to, all right? Back off. Okay, well, that heat is kind of showing me that maybe this is an idol. Like, no, man, because I could give it up any time. It's not that big of a deal, right? Again, there's that phrase, not that big of a deal, right? I remember for me, um, my idol was relationships. My idol was being in a relationship. And this is the thing, for a guy, it's not very cool to admit that, like, like, I really want to make, be in a relationship. I need a girlfriend. If I had a girlfriend, it would make me feel better. That's not macho, right? No guy wants to admit that. But that was the truth of me. Is that I had a lot of like, love deficits in my life. You know, I grew up uh, in, in a city where there just weren't a lot of Asians. I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. You know, um, either I was ridiculed or I was ignored. And both of them were painful. I'm actually not sure which one was more painful, being ridiculed or being ignored. But they both felt like a rejection. They both felt like, you know what? I'm not lovable. I'm not attractive. And so I sought it out like a drug. Oh my gosh, I needed somebody to affirm that I was lovable. And so I I just thought like, man, if I could get a girlfriend, it would just totally validate who I am. And I remember there's so many times where I was praying before God and I could feel like God was telling me, Steve, I need you to bring this before me. This is an idol. And I remember thinking every time, uh, I, actually, sometimes I would be like, okay, God, here it is. But I wouldn't break up with the girl, right? Or I would still pursue the relationship. I'd be like, yeah, I gave it up. And I remember one time I was talking with a friend. This is one, one of these people who knows me really well. And like, she just so happens to know me really well. And she also happens to be a very blunt person. She's the kind of person that you ask her like, hey, how's my hair? She's gonna be like, oh, it looks horrible. She's gonna be like really honest with you, right? And so this was a bad combination for me. But I remember I, I was telling her about how like, oh yeah, you know, God was searching out these idols in my life. And I found out that relationships were an idol for me. So I had to give up, you know, trying to pursue this relationship. And um, yeah, like I've completely given it up. And she's like, Steve, you're lying. I'm like, excuse me? It's really rude of you. How dare you? you know? But she kind of had that access to my life. You know? And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, this whole time in this conversation, you have talked about nothing but this girl. 
You talked about this girl the whole time. And then now you're going to come in with this BS that you're, it's not an idol for you? Like, come on. Be honest. You haven't given it up. Because if you did give, up, uh, give it up, then it wouldn't come out of your mouth every other sentence. You wouldn't be thinking about it all the time. And it was one of these moments where I was just like, busted, right? I was just caught red-handed, and she was right. You know, but I would do that lie. I would do that self-deception to protect my idol. You know, and it, it, until I could do that, until I could confess that I even had an idol, I could not come into a place where God could heal me, where God could restore me, you know? And friends, wherever you are in life, whatever you are going through, and maybe some of you, you're, you're feeling this message, and you're like, Pastor Steve, this is great, okay? But this also feels really bad because I still don't know how I feel. Friends, can you at least start with this step? This is my recommendation to you. Start with what you know. Now, God is a, a very loving and gracious God. And God will not take you to a place where you are not ready to go. Or, I mean, you, you know, you may not feel like you're ready. But in God's loving care, you're going to be okay. He's going to help you get through it, right? I think sometimes I hear messages like this. And, I, you know, like sort of the frightened boy within me, I'm afraid that God is just going to open up the floodgates of all the pain and all the horrible things in my life. And I'm just going to be like so crushed by all that horrible emotion that I'm going to end up uh, like, like on the ground in the fetal position, just rocking like, oh, oh, just catatonic, just from all my pain and grief. And friends, we have to trust in this situation that God is light, but God is love. He's not taking you on this journey to hurt you on purpose for the sake of hurting you. He's taking you on this journey to heal you. And friends, if you could just start with one truth, and maybe the truth is, I'm not okay, but I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I just know I'm not going okay. The next time you can't fall asleep because there's something gnawing at the corner of your consciousness and and you're just restless, you keep tossing and turning, you can't go to bed. The next time... You, you, you are getting super anxious about something and you don't know why, but you're just getting really, really anxious and you're not okay with it. The next time you are feeling really hopeless and depressed and you don't know why, the next time you are feeling stuck, the next time you can't get yourself to stop watching some video and, and because there's something you don't want to face and it doesn't even feel good, but the alternative is just, just seems like a dead end. The next time you feel stuck in any of those ways, friends, can I suggest that you acknowledge these truths? Two things. You are not okay, and you cannot fix it on your own. You are not okay, and you cannot fix it on your own. And friends, this is where we come to the cross of Christ. What it's been talking about in this whole passage is that when we come into the truth of who we are, then we can come into the truth of who God is. And that truth can confront our truth and you will not be left the same. So I'm just going to close with uh, just meditating on the cross of Christ and Jesus and who he is. When he sees you, he knows you already. He already knows the things that are wrong with you. And Jesus already decided 2,000 years ago to die for you. Yeah, you. With all of the jacked up things in your life, with all of the idols, with all of the, the just things that you try to suppress, with all of your selfishness, with all of your greed, with all of your unforgiveness, with all those unsightly parts of you, God decided to send his son to die for you. And the more we can acknowledge that God accepts us as we are, the more that he can begin to fully heal us. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Um, Dallas Willard uh, talks about the most important discipleship question a person can ask and answer. And it's simply this. What's bothering you? What's bothering you? Remember, friends, it doesn't go away. And this has become my spiritual practice. Every, every morning, 
Every morning I do this. I go and I buy a coffee and then I go to the park. And I sit at the park and I stare out into this lake. And I take deep breaths and I try to acknowledge the things that are going on in my life. Bless you. I try to acknowledge the things that are upsetting me. I try to get clear about that. And I'm not always clear. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, there's something bothering me and I'm not really sure why this is bothering me. Or sometimes there's not a lot of heat about it. It's like, oh yeah, I got a, a little like, like I, I, I got a little obsessed about this thing. Why did I get so obsessed about it? It doesn't have to be, uh, confession doesn't have to be something where you do something and it's spectacular, right? Like there's lots of fireworks. Like you just got really, really mad. Or you were really, really mad at someone. You were really, really mean to someone. It can just be a little bit, just a, a, a ping that escapes your defenses where you realize, oh, something's not right here. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the, the idea of a dump truck. You know, and those toxic things within you, they need to be dumped off. Dump trucks are good, right? Because they get rid of all the toxic things that will get you sick and make things smelly. And you need to dump truck before the Lord every day. That's what confession is, right? It's not about like, oh man, I'm so bad and by my confession, I'm becoming a better person because that's what good people do. It's not about that, friends. It's about the only one who is truly good is God. And we just need to be in a place where we confess, I cannot fix this on my own. I just need to be clear that it's happening. I need to be clear before you, God, and I need to unload it upon you. You ever confess to someone? Really confess in a way where that burden got lifted? You feel a little lighter, don't you? You feel like you're not carrying it as much. There are times where we hold on to things, secrets that are killing us. And just speaking out loud, it feels good. Journaling it. I highly recommend that. For some of you that you're like, man, when I sit down to pray, I just get so overwhelmed. I don't know what to say. I don't know about this prayer business. You know, I'm really bad at it. I want to encourage you to journal, right? And I want, to, I want you to give yourself permission to just feel what you are feeling, however bad it is. I'm going to use a bad word. Uh, can you guys forgive me, junior high kids? Can you guys forgive me? Um, okay, maybe I won't because you guys are looking a little shocked already. <laughs> There's a writer that talks about writer's block. And writer's block is uh, something where, you know, you feel like you can't write, right? And, and a lot of writer's block is about feeling like it needs to be good. So a lot of writers, you know, they get paralyzed by this idea that every time I write something on a piece of paper, it sucks. So I'm not going to write. And so there was one writer that she came up with a way to deal with this. And she called it the crappy first draft, but she didn't use the word crappy. She used the word, it starts with an S, rhymes with Smitty. Uh, so <laughs> it's a crappy first draft. And so um, this is what I do, actually. Um, uh, Brene Brown, social researcher, she recommends that you do this. When you are upset about something, something that just, it's, there's just something going on in your life. This is what I do in my journal. Um, I'm not going to show you right now, but I can show you pages on my journal where I write SFD at the top. Right? And what that is, is I'm giving myself permission to just write something crappy. The, the only thing is that it has to be true. Just be clear about what, what you're feeling. In that moment, um, some, sometimes like, like my, my daughter will like pick up my journal and just like, oh, hey, this is cute. I'm like, whoa, put that down. But the, there's some nasty stuff on there, okay? There's some like really bad words, you know, like the SFD, man. It's like, woo, there's some bad stuff on there, right? But it's honest. It's how I'm feeling in that moment. There's none of this, oh, it's okay. Like, it's not that big a deal. Like, oh, yeah, I'm Pastor Steve. I'm doing okay. It's like, no, I'm not doing okay. I'm bleeding all over the page. Oh, my gosh, I am so jealous. Oh, my gosh, I just wish that these people would appreciate me. You know, that's the SFD, right? And that's exactly the way the Psalms are, by the way. Man, woo, there's some toxic stuff in those Psalms. There's sometimes where they're like, God, will you just kill my enemies? Will you take their babies and just dash their heads against the rocks? God, can you do that for me? And then it ends with, okay, you're Lord. <laughs> I trust you. Praise God. I just had to get that off my chest, right? That's in the Bible. That stuff is in the Bible. Because we have to be clear. We have to confess. When something's not going well, 
when something is not the way it should be, there's only one who can fix it, and that is God. And he can only fix it if I bring that before him. So friends, why don't we just take a moment to uh, yeah, pray, reflect. Uh, praise team, can you guys come up? What do you guys think about that? Is that hard to hear for some of you? Some of you, you're like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know about that. That's a little bit out there, Pastor Steve. Friends, this is step one in our process to healing, is to acknowledge when you are not okay. Some of us are super bad at it. And by the way, that's okay too. It's okay to be bad at it. You got to start somewhere. Maybe that's your confession. I'm really bad at knowing how I feel. Can you be clear about that? Friends, I recommend a daily practice of doing this, sitting still before God and being yourself. Just bring yourself. Just be clear. Just confess whatever it is you're feeling at the moment. That's a good place to start. It's not where you're going to end up, but it's a good place to start. You know, friends, uh, I know sometimes people hear messages like this and they're like, Pastor Steve, what's the difference between complaining and confessing? I think complaining is confessing without God. <laughs> you just take God out of the equation, right? You know, you, you just like vent, but there's no one there to pick up the pieces for you. You know, or maybe just getting like destructively angry about something. Yeah, that can be confessing without God. But when we confess with God, we find someone who loves us and accepts us. And there's nothing you have done. There is no sin. Friends, I'm sorry if this comes as a shock to you. There's no sin that is new. You did not invent a new sin. Right? You, you, you did not have this unique sin that God's like, whoa, I've never seen that one before. Good on you. Like, that's completely unique. God has seen it all before. He's forgiven it all before. Do you hear that, friends? There's nothing within you. There's nothing wrong with you that God has, hasn't seen before. There's no mental illness. There's no depression. There's no chemical imbalance within you that God hasn't seen before. There's no betrayal. There's no rejection. There's no feeling of being suicidal that God hasn't seen before. And as he sees you, he's loving you. And he's saying, look, I sent my son to die for you, to take away this burden that you could not take. And my son, he defeated death. He defeated all the powers of darkness so that you can come into this light. There is nothing that you've done. There is nothing that you are. There's nothing that you've thought. There's nothing that you've felt that can escape the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing, nothing that can separate you from God unless we separate ourselves. So God, we come before you with our faults with the things that are wrong within us. It's not about blame. It's not about, you know, yeah, there may be many reasons why those things exist, but they exist. And God, we can't deal with them anymore. Lord, we need you to take these things from us. So God, teach us, Lord, about the power of confession and show us, Lord, your loving grace again. We thank you for that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.